just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. All right, Salt Lakers, we published a neighborhood guide to Sugar House in our newsletter, and the feedback we got from you was zealous. You told us we overreached in our definition of Sugar House. One of the most vocal critics was Building Salt Lake editor Taylor Anderson. So he is here today to explain why you cared so much and why it matters. Because Salt Lake, it turns out, is pretty good at killing neighborhoods. It's Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Taylor Anderson, editor of Building Salt Lake. You're kind of a neighborhood czar. I don't know anyone who's more passionate about Salt Lake neighborhood boundaries than you. Would you agree? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like to I like to ruffle some feathers about it on uh, online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's do it. I'm going to put you to the test. We made a little game. Oh, so boy. I'm going to tell you where I am and you're going to tell me what neighborhood I'm in. Oh, boy. OK, let's go. I'm at lucky me. Buy the bucket, hot spaghetti to go on 7th East and 21st South. And this is on the west side of 7th East. On the east side, sorry. This is on the east side of 7th East. East. You're in Sugar House. I'm in Sugar House. Mm -hmm. Good job. We'll get a sound effect. We'll come up with a sound effect. Ding. Ding. Okay. I'm at the King's English on 15th and 15th, digesting my hot spaghetti to go. Where am I? That's tricky because I think it's maybe technically Wasatch Hollow, but more colloquially, like locally, we would just call it 15th and 15th. Mm -hmm. It's Wasatch Hollow, according to the city map. Yep. You're crushing this. <laughs> okay. I'm at Mestizo Coffee House, 631 West and North Temple. Where am I? Fair Park? Or is it is it Poplar South of North Temple? I think it's Poplar Grove. This is a tough one. City map says Fair Park. Other people would tell you it's Guadalupe. Mm. I think the Brown Berets would tell you it's Rose Park. Mm. City map says Fair Park. Fair Park. Well, I kind of hedged it by saying two neighborhoods, right? So we can get a ding. Yeah. No, I'm <laughs> That's a half ding. It's a half ding. <laughs> okay, here's the last one. What a day I'm having. I am at the Commonwealth Room music venue. You're in downtown South Salt Lake. Yeah, I am. I am. Okay, part of the reason we're having this conversation, you and I, is that we published uh, Salt Lake Tribune jazz beat writer Andy Larson's Sugar House Neighborhood Guide in our newsletter. And it inspired it, some battle online <laughs> about what is and isn't Sugar House. Why do people care so much about what neighborhood they're in? The reason that I care about what neighborhood, I mean, these are the building blocks of cities, right? I'm a firm believer that when you have firm boundaries, like inflexible boundaries of your neighborhoods, you kind of inspire ownership, you inspire pride of place to get mm -hmm. involved civically, to kind of fight for your neighborhood in your city. And, and kind of it, it creates a better, I think, um, kind of civic discourse. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's why when I say like, where are you on the east side or the west side of, of 7th East, you know, you know, there's like, there's oftentimes kind of neighborhood creep 
you know, of like, okay, Sugar House is pretty trendy. You know, we're just going to call our real estate listing Sugar House, even if you're in Liberty Wells. Hmm. And, you know, to to me, I almost, I take that personally. I live in Liberty Wells. I take pride in where I live. I want to fight for my neighborhood. Let's talk about who gets to decide these boundaries. Like, is it just vibes or like, who are the stakeholders that determine what makes up a neighborhood? Historically, it's actually developers. Mm. They create the subdivision. We talked about Rose Park earlier. Rose Park wasn't yeah. a thing until like the 1940s and 50s when a developer was like, all right, between these streets and these streets, which it starts at 6th North, uh, we're going to build, I think it was like a thousand homes or something like that. And that's where the neighborhood of Rose Park came from. It's not from 150 years ago. It's from the 1950s. And, you know, after right. you put the people in the in that area, then they kind of interact, they build churches, they build commerce, then they've got a neighborhood. You called me the neighborhood's czar or whatever. <laughs> I've been called a dictator. It's, it's kind of funny because a lot of this is tongue in cheek, but it's an open question, right? Like I'm not right. the guy to decide like, oh no, I'm the one that decides the neighborhood boundaries. Like, is it the community? Is it the developers? Is it it's kind of like maybe a fluid thing. I guess mm. it's just up to the people that make up those current places to say like, oh yeah, it's all right. We'll, we'll let that little corner of Liberty Wells get shaved off and become Sugar House, sure. I think it's also realtors. Like I think realtors exert a bit of power and influence in this because they can really get a narrative going about what is or isn't happening or what a neighborhood is or isn't offering. Totally, 100%. And that's why like the joke is I, I feel like one out of every two or three houses that sell in Liberty Wells are adorable sugar house bungalow, you know? And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, like I got to call this realtor up and have a conversation. And right, so I, I'm always right. like, if I ever sold my house, I would, I would write the listing so that it clearly says the, you know, historic, the amazing, the, the, the city's best Liberty Wells neighborhood, you know, we're not in sugar house here. People would read that listing and be like, boy, this realtor is really <laughs> on one. I don't know. What's interesting to me about neighborhood identity is it really is a double-edged sword because we think about it a lot in terms of the you referred to the creep, like the gentrification, the sort of realtors and developers trying to move something into being trendy or, you know, property value and all these different like sort of commercial reasons that you would want your neighborhood to be hot. But I have a friend who um, in my hometown started this nonprofit, and the goal of the nonprofit was to establish the like historically black neighborhood in my hometown as being a historic neighborhood. And like, I think that's an example of basically using neighborhood identity to actually fight gentrification. That's really interesting to me. And I think the Rose Park Brown Berets are doing that right now as well in Rose Park, which is like, okay, well, wait, if we like calcify this neighborhood identity, does it also protect us from development or just the idea that this neighborhood is not a neighborhood, right? That it's a canvas. And I think that sometimes gets lost in the conversation about neighborhood identity too, because we can easily just see it as like, oh, it's, it's, it's nimbyism, right? It's like the not in my backyard people. Right, totally. Yeah, I love that example. And I love that idea from your hometown. Which, what's your hometown, by the way? Sarasota, Florida. Right on. Well, um, <laughs> that's like totally it. And that's a big reason in my mind to have inflexible boundaries. You know, I think of places like Central City, which is a great historic neighborhood that has some issues that are worth fighting, you know, to improve the conditions in Central City. But when you have mm-hmm. like, oh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's downtown, whatever, like we don't really know where we are. Like that, that I feel like 
you need to know what you're fighting for. You need to know where you're fighting for. You know, like you said, I mean, you know, you're fighting for Fair Park. You know, you're fighting for Guadalupe not being erased from this earth by highway expansion, right? Right, 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 right. Something I've been thinking about a lot that I want to ask you about is like, in order to have like a really solid neighborhood identity, does it need to have a single focal point? Whether that's like a park or a building, like thinking about the bees, of course, leaving ballpark and moving to daybreak. That's the ballpark neighborhood because of the ballpark, right? Like ninth and ninth has ninth and ninth. Fair Park has the Fair Park. Um, when I think about like Central City, I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know what that is because it doesn't really have a single like to me the central city like fulcrum is probably the 7-eleven on first and third <laughs> like <laughs> like what does a neighborhood need that like building or like thing it helps make like identity for sure i mean guadalupe is a tiny neighborhood it always has been and it's named mm-hmm. after a church that was built in 1930 i'm pretty sure Um, So it definitely helps create that identity that then the surrounding community like galvanizes around for sure. I don't know if it's Mm -hmm. required or not, but you're right. I mean, your examples are right on. Does anyone know the boundaries of Central City? I don't know. And maybe that's the reason why. I only know because when I lived in Central City, I was told by a member of the Avenues Community Council that because I lived on the other side of South Temple, I could not join. (laughs) Oh, The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. On the note of, like, the bees, can ballparks survive this and retain ballpark? 
That's that's an open question because so it gets back to your original like beefy question: who decides these things? And I definitely think it's the neighborhood mm-hmm. itself that should have these conversations. And I know they're getting together to have those conversations. Yeah. You know, I mean, ballpark is a whole lot better of a name, I think, than what it was before until not that long ago. It was the People's Freeway, and no if you way. Know, yeah, it was People's Freeway for a long time. It's it was, and I'm pretty sure it came from when they built I-15. It was kind of like, yeah, now you're like, here's your interstate that like destroyed your neighborhood. Wow, um, that is <laughs> yeah. some real messaging. Yeah, so I think they rebranded in like the '90s or early 2000s or something to the ballpark, which totally makes sense. Yeah. I didn't realize that ball like baseball has been played in this city for over a century in that neighborhood. Uh, yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we'll see what ends up happening with that site, but that history is always there. Well, I mean, you're the editor of Building Salt Lake. While I've got you, what would you like to see on that site? So the neighborhood is getting gentrified pretty quickly. I mean, there's a lot of new development happening, and it's happening in part because these builders wanted to be located near the baseball stadium. Um, The city did that kind of study, came up with a new plan, and it was all centered around putting max density in that area because we want it to be a vibrant district that people can live, work, and play in. I would like to see some workforce housing, Hmm. not all low-income. Ballpark is concentrating a lot of very low-income housing, and that's great. We need low-income housing. We need low-income housing all across the city and not just concentrated in one place. We should have a mixed-income, mixed-use kind of area. I also think, before I get all these hate hate calls about this, I think a rec center would make a lot of sense. I think more green space would make a lot of sense. So it's not like pack in as much housing as we can. There's like a lot you could do, but I think like some civic things for that neighborhood because it needs help. Um, They they have amazing community organizers that are working on it. But I think, you know, a mix of retail, maybe a rec center, some things for the people that already live there to to go do uh, and not just housing. Yeah, I can tell you've given this zero thought. So thanks for riffing on that. I do, on the note of retail, want to talk about kind of the district culture that it feels like has arrived at our doorstep. A district is what, like a commerce neighborhood, but a district isn't necessarily a neighborhood, right? Like thinking Maven, Note, Granary, Post. Do you think these things will survive? Like they, those feel like real true developer-driven ideas. I'm glad you dropped the note. I, I wonder how many people, like, raise your hand if you know what the Note District is. Uh, and then when you know it, it's obvious. North Temple, right? That's like the, it's our WeHo. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Note. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've been thinking about that a little bit because we don't really have an ide- identity or we don't have neighborhoods in downtown, right? So we have West, mm. um, we have Central City, which is east of State Street. Then we have like right. this downtown. And in a lot of cities, there's like, a financial district, and then there's other neighborhoods that maybe you could call them districts. Post District is a good example. I, I just wrote a story about that, and I kind of like I was turning it over. Like, can they just create this thing out of thin air? And then I looked for like yeah. what neighborhood actually is this, and there really wasn't one. I think part of it mm-hmm. is like I-15 and like the offshoots from I-15 kind of like slowly like ripped away the whatever identity was there decades ago. Yeah, and mm-hmm. the developer said like I didn't want to just like attach myself to the granary. I didn't want to just like mm-hmm. attach myself to downtown because they definitely are in this limbo area between. Yeah. I guess it's an open question. Like, is a district different than a neighborhood? Does a neighborhood need something that a district doesn't have? Is a district just a shopping area but doesn't have like your daily essentials, like a school and daycare and, you know, a grocery store? Um, yeah. That's maybe how I would differentiate them. It's like a smaller mm-hmm. urban node rather than a thriving kind of 
24-7, place that you can live, work, play, shop, you know, do everything that you need to do without leaving. Right. Yeah. It also feels like kind of a response to how our work culture is changing, where like we work remotely, people aren't necessarily commuting. Like if you've got this like kind of commercial district nestled in your neighborhood, it could maybe get you out of the house. <laughs> right. But it, it's it'll be interesting to see if neighborhoods sort of uh, take any of these districts under their wing or if these districts do take like I don't know maybe we give it 10 years to see if people are throwing around the word post we'll say there was a local business that's moving to 9th South and 7th West it's Poplar Grove but this business that's located there called it West Granary we're moving to the West Granary district which oh, no, I hate that you know it rubs me the wrong way you know, yeah. is that just how it happens? Is it like, you know, businesses kind of relocate? It's pretty close to the boundary. The boundary is I-15 and 7th West is right next to I-15. Yeah. In my opinion, like Poplar Grove could use more mixed uses to become more of a neighborhood. You know, round the clock has what you need neighborhood. And here yeah. they've got a new business that's opening up that they could take pride in. It's now like helping with that issue. But no, it's 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 Granary, it's West Granary, it's Wegra, right? <laughs> Wegra, bra. <laughs> Well, I guess the last question I have for you is basically like, what does it take to kill a neighborhood? I wonder if you could tell me the story, a quick story about a Salt Lake neighborhood that is no more or that we've lost and how we lost it. Are you familiar with Swede Town? No. Swede Town is like north. It's like Beck Street as it winds kind of northwest moving out of the city. Swede Town was like it had what what you needed. I, I, I like I wasn't there. It was we're talking like the forties. My okay. neighbor racer Ray, friggin' legend. He raced on the salt flats. His garage okay. was in Swede Town, and you had churches and you had houses and everything. And as these mm. industrial uses, like the um, the gas plants and the highways and the rail yards, and then like this industrial mm. creep, go take a field trip and and walk around Swede Town and see what it's like there now. There's a couple dozen maybe people who live in Swede Town, but mm. it's like the vestiges of a very much bygone neighborhood. Um, so it's, it's kind of yeah. eerie, a little bit sad. I don't know. I hope I'm not offending anybody for saying this, but, you know, as a Swede, I want to love Swede Town, you know? So I've gone there right. a couple of times, you know? Guadalupe is in danger, but I think, again, because there's such an identity, like for almost a century in Salt Lake City, we've had Guadalupe. And we've got this community that that goes to that, you know, church that that has lived there. I mean, did you read the story about the grandmother who's been there? Yes, She's 101 years old. Grandma Molly. Yeah. I mean, it was an amazing story. And like mm -hmm. the fact that she might get displaced from Guadalupe twice from a highway expansion is devastating. But, you know, I think that that communities like both Fair Park and Guadalupe are taking leadership roles in fighting that project because they know like our neighborhood is under threat. You know, their mm -hmm. boundaries include I-15 and that that divider is expanding. So they're like, fight for Guadalupe, fight for Fair Park so we don't lose this identity of the city. And what mm -hmm. happened to Swede Town doesn't happen to both of those. Taylor Anderson, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for letting me rant about neighborhoods. We love it. <laughs> the Swedes are blowing up the phone lines. I can see it. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> That I-15 expansion Taylor mentioned, if you heard that and said, what? We have a primer for you. I asked Republican State Senator Todd Weiler how he is thinking about the proposal, given that it sits right in his district. That link is in the show notes for you. And here's one more morsel of neighborhood news before we go. You know the Southeast Market on 9th South by Liberty Park? Big yellow colored building across the street from Pig in a Jelly Jar? 
A while ago, the owners of the market decided to call it quits. People were curious what would become of this giant downtown lot, and now we know. Building Salt Lake tracked down the owner, Kathia Dang, who said she wants to renovate, not demolish the building. Adding eight units to the top could allow someone to live and work there, since it's already zoned for business. She said she refuses to rent to big corporations and wants to see the block inspire mixed-use, walkable density. Rumor has it, the space is being eyed by the folks who really want a food co-op. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. If you are feverish for more development news, follow and read Building Salt Lake. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye!